Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Okay, so we're coming into land on our, um, our spirit-led series. This is our last week, and I was reflecting. We started back at the end of August we, on this 10-week journey. We said we wanted to get better at hearing uh, God's voice and responding to God's voice, and I think you've done really well. Yeah? You've done really well. I've seen a massive change in terms of the expectation, uh, in terms of people wanting to hear God's voice. I've heard so many stories about people stepping out and responding to God's voice. I think there's been a shift in that, uh, around uh, being used by God. So I want to really say, well done. Congratulations. You've done a fantastic job at journeying this. And uh, even though it's the last talk today, it doesn't stop. You know, we don't just jump onto another topic. We do go into Christmas and all that that brings. But I want to encourage you just to keep listening and responding to God because God's got so much more for us. We sing these songs, don't we? You've got so much more and God has so much more for us. So, so I encourage you, um, keep Keep listening and keep responding to the Spirit day by day. Last week we looked at the story of, of Philip being sort of launched by God to encounter the Ethiopian who was travelling back from Jerusalem. And today we're just going one chapter over. We're in Acts 8 last week, we're going to Acts 9 today. And we're going to look about a guy called Saul, which you may have heard of. Uh, he has a powerful encounter with God on a road to Damascus. But I'm just going to pray before we start. Father, we thank you that you are so keen to uh, encourage us and to build us up and to open our ears to all that you have to say. So, Father, we thank you for these past weeks as we've journeyed with your spirit. And, God, would you you continue to increase our ability to hear you and respond to your voice? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to turn to Acts 9 in your Bible, if you've got one, or we're going to put the scriptures on the screen. Um, And this story has a very dramatic opening. Let's start with Acts 9, then. We're in this section, do what he tells you. And it says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anybody there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So who's Saul? Well, Saul is the man who's primarily referred to as Paul later on in your New Testament. Um, Paul was this, Saul was this religious zealot. He was a religious zealot. He, he describes himself in Philippians 3 as, um, as of the tribe of, Gen- of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based upon the law, faultless. So he's this religious zealot who believes that he's to eradicate these new followers of the way, these followers of Jesus. I love that term, the way, because it means people of a journey, people who are traveling. You know, before we were called Christians, which means little Christs, we were called followers of the way. And that, to me, describes the dynamic nature of what Christians should be. We're not supposed to be static and stoic. We're supposed to be on a journey. We're supposed to be traveling a road with Jesus. And so these people were called followers of the way, effectively followers of Jesus' way. But Saul believes they're a threat to the establishment, a threat to the temple, a threat to the religious systems, a threat to the Torah, all that he holds dear, a threat to the temple law. 
And so he's decided he's going to help to eradicate them. And so he's ruthlessly persecuting them and pursuing them. And it says he was present at the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7. And he gave approval to the killing of Stephen uh, by the crowd. So he's, he's, he's really, really not a pleasant person to meet if you're an early Christian. Later on in his story, he, he's brought before King Agrippa. This is in Acts 26. And this gives you an insight into what he was thinking at the time. He, said, I, he says this in uh, Acts 26. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from synagogue to another to have them punished and even tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. So this is what Saul is doing as he's travelling to Damascus. He's going there to try and pursue and find and arrest anybody he can see who's aligned with the person of Jesus. But as he pursues God, God is pursuing him. You need to know that God pursues you. You can run, but you can't hide. It's my favourite quote from Top Gun. (laughs) You can run, but you can't hide, because God is the God who pursues you. It says over and over again in Scripture, wherever you go, shall I go to the ends of the earth, shall I go to the bottom of the sea? Where can I go to escape your presence? And God is a God who loves us and pursues us. So even though Saul believes he's on a mission to pursue the people of God, God is pursuing him at the same time. God has plans for him. God's got plans for Saul. And God's got plans for you and me. God's got plans for people. You know, you've got your plans, and they're great, but God's got plans. And they're better plans, they're bigger plans than the plans you have. It says in Hebrews 11.40, God's planned something better for us in Christ. So whatever your plans are, and whatever your plans are, God's plans for you in Christ are better plans than the plans you've made. You might have a one-year plan, a five-year plan, a two-day plan. Whatever your plans are, God's plans are better for you in Christ. And that's what's going to happen to Saul. He's going to encounter the risen Christ. He says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. At this point, I imagine Saul wet himself. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I've seen this dramatised in film. It's like a Strictly Come Dancing spotlight appears over Saul, you know, in the results show. You know, ding, 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 ding. Any Strictly fans in? Well, that would be more popular than that. About five. Only five of you watch Strictly. That's shocking. Okay. Oh, you're too embarrassed to raise your hand. Okay, for those who... Come on, put your hands up. That's more like it. Come on now. Now we see it. 
Nothing to be embarrassed about. Fantastic show. Um, but it wasn't anything like a spotlight you see on Strictly. It was a, it was a manifestation of God. He says later on, he says that the light was brighter than the sun. And that's the encounter that Jesus, Jesus came in his transfigured glory, in, in all his glory. You know, when Jesus comes back, he's not going to come back in like, like a hippie. He's not going to come back in like robes and sandals. He's going to come back transfigured in all his glory. I had a friend say to me, why doesn't Jesus just turn up and I'll believe in him? Well, this is probably why. Because if he turned up as he is now, we would literally be blown away and probably, as happens to Saul, blinded by the power of God's glory and God's, just his manifestation of who he is properly. The curtain's sort of fully drawn back. And Saul is enveloped by the person of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul had never met Jesus. Saul had never seen Jesus. He was just persecuting the followers of the dead Jesus, or so he thought. Jesus was dead, crucified. The religious system had done its job. They put him to death. His tomb was empty. Probably his body had been stolen by somebody, by, by disciples, maybe by other people. Grave robbers were prevalent at the time. So Saul just thought he was persecuting the people of a dead icon, the dead person of Jesus. And now Jesus is here in all his glory. And I can imagine Saul thinking, I've got this so wrong. Because the Jesus he hated was now speaking to him and saying, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hating me so much? Saul was, was hell-bent on eradicating the followers of Jesus. He said his own words, I was obsessed with persecuting them. He was convinced he was doing the right thing. The message translation says he's a one-man terror obsessed with obliterating these people. Why was Saul like this? What was his motivation? We get a clue from Acts 26.5 where, where Saul describes himself. He says, I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Saul was utterly dependent on conforming to the law to obtain acceptance from God. That's where he believed his acceptance came from. And when Jesus' followers spoke of a new way that was not based upon the law, not based upon conformity to the law, but based upon grace, this threatened the system that he knew so well. In the story, Les Mis, and you familiar with the story, the musical, the book? You've got two characters. You've got the police inspector, Javert, and Javert represents the law. He is the law in the story. And uh, you've got Grace, represented by Jean Valjean. He's the forgiven criminal. And towards the end of the story, Jean Valjean has the opportunity to kill Javert, to put him to death, because he's been ruthlessly pursuing and persecuting Jean Valjean all his life. But even though he's done this, Jean Valjean chooses the opportunity to forgive Javert and to set him free. And Javert can't cope with this act of forgiveness and this act of grace. It doesn't fit into his world that is represented by the law. You know we've got a clip, don't you? Let's watch a clip. (laughs) Please forgive me for Russell Crowe singing. Damned if I live in the debt of a thief. Damned if I yield at the end of the chase. I am the law and the law is not mocked. I'll spit his pity right back in his face. There is nothing on earth that we share. It is either Valjean or Javert.
and my thoughts fly apart. Can this man be believed? Shall his sins be forgiven? Shall his crimes be reprieved? And must I now begin to doubt? Who never doubted all these years My heart is stone and still it trembles The world I have known is lost in shadow Is he from heaven or from hell? And does he know That granting me my life today This man has killed me, even so. Jean Valjean's act of grace kills the law represented by Javert, just as Jesus kills the law by going to the cross. It says in Ephesians 2.15, setting aside in his flesh the law with its command and its regulations. And the words setting aside in NIV are are too weak, really, as a translation. The words there mean to destroy or obliterate or to render useless. So by the cross, Jesus obliterates the law that Saul was so dependent upon. And just like Javert there, everything that he thought he knew and he was basing his life upon was just basically being taken apart. Saul's world is turned upside down by the person of Jesus, And now Jesus meets him. The dead Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus. Jesus is putting to death the religious system and bringing a new life by grace. Saul's plans weren't God's plans. And often our plans aren't God's plans. We're very good at making plans, but often we don't bring those plans and submit them to God. We don't say, God, is this plan a good plan for me? We're very poor Humans are very poor at making good plans. We tend to make plans that we think are good, but they aren't good plans because they're based on limited perspective or limited understanding or they're based upon our past experience or our pain. It's often said that hurt people hurt people. You know, if you're carrying pain, you're more likely to go around and inflict pain on other people. The best gift you can be to somebody else is to get yourself sorted out because then you won't transfer or project your pain. If you, if you get yourself healed and sorted in God, you'll be a much better friend because you won't be projecting that pain onto others. Saul was a broken man inside. He was so utterly dependent upon the law for acceptance. But he knew, even though he declared himself faultless, he could never really measure up to the standard he lived by. He was desperate for unconditional love and desperate for real forgiveness. And yet he was shackled to the law that he couldn't live up to. And so I think he believed that by persecuting the followers of Jesus, he might earn some extra, extra favour in God's sight. But God had different plans for him. And God has got different plans for you and me. And isn't that great? Like God's got plans for you? Plans that are better than our plans? I'd encourage you all, whatever plans you've got, bring them before God and say, God, I want your plan. I want your best plan for my life. I want your, your better plan.
And so in Acts 26, we get a fuller version of what Saul heard Jesus say. It says, As I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is God's new plan for Saul. He'll become a servant of Jesus. He'll become a witness of his resurrection. If you want a summary of the gospel, it's right there for you. God's sending you to open people's eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so they may receive forgiveness, a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith. That's the gospel right there in a nutshell. That's our mandate that God gives us and gave to Saul. God sends people to people to open eyes. God sends people to people to declare God's goodness and forgiveness. God sends people to people to say you're blind and there's a new way of seeing. And to turn them from darkness to light. I don't know many people who've met God in such a dramatic way as Saul did. And often people get confused. I think this is the only way to become a follower of Jesus, to have like a Damascus Road conversion, it's sometimes described as. But God doesn't normally do this. God normally works in much more intimate and personal ways. But everyone who genuinely meets Jesus is genuinely transformed by Jesus. That is the truth. If you meet Jesus, however you meet him, you will be transformed by him. And this transformation is just beginning with Saul. He's blinded by the encounter. Such is the severity of God's manifestation. It physically blinds him. And he's led by the hand into Damascus. He says in Acts 26, the light was brighter than the sun blazing around me. So this is the beginning of Saul's journey. Contrary to popular belief, Saul's name didn't change to Paul at that point. People think that's when Saul became Paul. He didn't. He's called Saul 11 more times in Scripture after this time. He was always called Saul and he was always called Paul. But he had this powerful encounter that transforms him. So now Saul has to wait. He's waiting on the person of Jesus Christ. He's alone in the darkness, blinded. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. But God's given him a vision of somebody who will come to him. God's going to send somebody to him who's going to help him. As we talked about last week, God's going to launch somebody to intersect with his life to bring about a gospel opportunity. And that man is named Ananias. So in Acts 9.10, it says that in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called to him in a vision. In the same town where Saul was waiting, there's a man, a disciple, What's a disciple? It's somebody who's just a listener, a learner, a responder. That's all a disciple is. It's somebody who's aligned themselves to try and respond, as we have, to the voice of God when it comes. It says in Acts 22, Saul describes him. He was a devout observer of the law. He was highly respected by the Jews. He was everything that Saul used to be, 
but he'd encountered the living Christ. It's what you would call, in modern terms, a messianic believer. He was a Jew who'd encountered the living Christ. And he was no longer living under law, he was living under grace. And God was going to send him to minister to Saul. It's really important where we live and where God places us. Where you live and what you do and who's around you, I don't believe is accidental. I believe you're right where you need to be to do what God's called you to do. I met so many people who say, I just want to, you know, I just want to retire. I just want to leave my job. I just want to stop doing this. I want to move house. I want to get house in the country. I want to do X, Y, and Z. I've got these plans. And when I've done these plans, then life will be better for me. Jesus was, was brilliant at living in the moment. He lived absolutely in the day. He said, in fact, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow's got enough worry of its own. You focus on the day you're in. And I think where God places us day by day is so important. This guy, Ananias, was, was a, someone who lived in Damascus, going about his daily life, and God said, I'm going to use you for something. So I'd encourage you, don't despise your job. Don't despise your neighbourhood. Don't despise the people around you. Don't despise the, the town you're in or, the, or where God's placed you. Because God's put you there for a reason. God's got plans for you and plans for the people that he's placed you around. It doesn't mean you'll always be there. It doesn't mean you'll always be doing that job. But in the moment where you are, God has got plans for you. And I really encourage you to approach those things that you're so familiar with with fresh eyes. Who's God put around me? What are the opportunities? Who are my neighbours? What can I do in the situation where I am? Because Ananias is about to go and do something quite extraordinary. He's about to go and intersect with the murderous Saul. So he responds, yes, Lord. This is the best prayer you can pray. (laughs) And probably the shortest. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It's the same as the word amen that we use at the end of all our prayers. It just simply means... Let your will be done. Or, or, yes, yes, God, I'm aligning myself with you. So if you feel God nudging you, the best place to start is, yes, Lord. It's kind of, yes, God, I'm, I'm responding to you, I'm hearing you. Yes, God, I want to align myself with you. It's the simplest and one of the best prayers that you can pray. So the Lord says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. But Ananias is scared. He says, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man. All the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. All Ananias knows is that Saul is a murderous persecutor of people who follow Jesus. He doesn't know anything of God's side of the story at this point. He doesn't know What's happened on the Damascus Road? All he knows is what he knows about Saul. And you can imagine him thinking, you're sending me to somebody who hates me, who will want to arrest me, possibly kill me, and you're sending me to him? How does that fit? How is that a good plan? So he's scared. And it's okay to be scared. If God says something to you that sounds scary, it's okay to be scared. But we have to recognise that often we don't know the other side 
of the story. We don't know what God has been preparing and doing in the life of that person. And I love this two-way conversation here. I don't know how it played out. I don't know how God spoke to Ananias. I don't know how Ananias spoke to God. But there's clearly a two-way conversation here. And that's what prayer is. And being led by God. You can have these two-way conversations, this dialogue with God through prayer and through listening. God hears Ananias, but he still says, go. Now, this isn't go, get out. I've had enough. It's not like a rebuke. It actually, it's a fascinating word uh, in, the, in the Greek. It means travel your journey. Start out. Which I think is lovely. It's, like God's, it's an invitation, once again, to Ananias to say, journey the road I've got for you. You're a follower of the way. Well, this is, this is more journeying for you. It's not I'm, 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 I'm rebuking you. I'm not, it's not I'm punishing you. It's not I've not heard you. But this is a journey that you're to discover and experience. And yes, it's scary right now, but there's exciting things ahead, which you won't encounter unless you go. So he says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This suffering here, again, it's not God punishing Saul for persecuting believers. Again, the, the word is very interesting. It means you'll be passionately twinned to my cause. You'll, you'll, you'll be so committed and in love with me that you'll have to do things that may cause you pain because you're so committed to me. And we've all experienced that as people, haven't we? When, when, we're, when, we're, when we're twinned with someone through family or relationship, and occasionally we have to do things that cost us because of that relationship and the depth of commitment we've got to that person. And that's exactly what God is saying Saul will have to encounter. He's not like, I'm going to punish you, Saul, because you were bad and you persecuted my people. Therefore, I'm going to give you a job that's going to be hard on you and it's going to punish you. It's actually, you'll be so passionately intertwined with me that that will bring you pain and that will bring you suffering. And guys, if we're intertwined with Christ, we do experience pain and we do experience suffering because that's the nature of his war as well. We can't give to God that which costs us nothing, that which has no value. Because our life follows the same curve that his follows. Everybody who chooses to follow Jesus in scripture encounters suffering. as a cost to following Christ. The Apostle Peter says, It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And you will suffer for doing good if you choose to walk the path of Christ. It says in 1 Peter 3.17, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He put to death in the body. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And sometimes you will experience death in your body. You will feel the suffering and pain of what it is to follow Christ. But mate, be under no illusion, you are being brought to life in the spirit. Sometimes we wrestle with this whole concept of suffering and pain as Christians. We, 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 it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like it should be present in lives. But the reality is, while we're on this earth, we will suffer. But we are being made alive in the Spirit in Christ. And so Saul was going to experience that, that twinning with Christ and the, and the mission of Christ, and that would bring him a degree of pain and suffering. 
Ananias goes to the house. I'd imagine he's trembling in fear. He goes in and he enters it and he places his hands on Saul. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, regained his strength. He had to go and place his hands on. Proximity, we've said before, is so important if we're going to get the gospel to people. If we're going to get the gospel into people's lives, it requires us to be close. You've seen us on a Sunday morning put hands on people and pray for them. We're not doing that because we're doing something weird. It's about proximity of touch and the transfer of blessing and the sense that we want to encourage somebody and be right there close to them. And so this is what Ananias does. He goes and puts hands on, and these hands allow Christ's healing to flow through into Saul. And his sight is restored, and he's filled with the Spirit. And he gets baptised to symbolise the start of his new life in Christ. And he sums all this up when he stands before King Agrippa in Acts 26. And he says this, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. This is why some Jews tried to seize me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So the ripple effect of Ananias' obedience in going to pray for Saul is astronomical. Saul becomes Paul, who goes and takes the gospel prolifically across this whole region. He's probably the most prolific church planter who ever lived. Because of the obedience of Ananias, who went to the man who he thought might well arrest him, even murder him, he was sent in obedience and he went. And it it just strikes me how many people have gone on to do fantastic things for God because somebody was obedient to go. Somebody was obedient to go and to pray or to speak a word of encouragement to them. And then Paul says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. When I got my commission, I wasn't disobedient, I responded to it. And we all have a commission placed upon our lives by God, but God's got plans for you. They're good plans. And our job is to respond to those plans, that commission. So we aren't disobedient to the vision that we receive from God and the call upon our lives. And so as we come to the end of this story, we can see the incredible impact of sent people. When we listen and respond and we're sent, the gospel extends exponentially. And the devil would love to have you sit in your chair for the next 30 years and do nothing. Hearing sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. What God wants to do, he wants to send you out. Just as he sends these people out we've read about. And yes, sometimes it's scary. And yes, sometimes we don't know the other side of the story. But God has plans. And the only way those plans get fulfilled is through people. There is no other way that God does this. It's always people to people. Yeah? There's no other way. There's no plan B. He does it through people. And you're called and I'm called to grow increasingly to respond to the leading of the Spirit. 
And you and I can position ourselves to listen to the voice of God and position ourselves to respond to the Spirit in the day-to-day. Let's stand together. As we've come to the end of this series, I want to pray for us all this morning. I want to pray kind of a commissioning prayer. I want to pray that we'd all go. (laughs) We'd all go in the sense that we'd all travel the journey, the road that God has marked out for us. We'd be people of the way. We wouldn't just be a, a, a person with a Christian label stuck upon us. We'd be people of the way because we're dynamically responding and listening to the voice of Jesus. The same Jesus that appeared to Saul could appear today in this room in the same dramatic fashion if he chose to. But he chose, he chose to come by the gentleness of his spirit. And I know many of you have heard him speak into your hearts today. And the trick is not to let that word get stolen away as you go from here but to dwell and reflect and, and listen and respond. What is God's plan for you? What is God's plan for you? Where has he placed you? What has he called you? Ananias was called by God and Ananias said, yes, Lord. And you can pray a simple prayer today. Yes, Lord, I want to listen and respond to what you've said to me today. So I'm going to pray. If you want to close your eyes, you can. If you want to put your hands out to receive, you can. Lord, we thank you for the incredible story of Saul. We thank you even more for the incredible story of Ananias, this man who took courage to go and and visit someone who, who must have terrified him. And yet he went in and he prayed and you came. You brought healing, you brought filling of your spirit and you brought a fresh vision from heaven. And I pray for every person in this room today that, that your plan will be the plan that they can enter into, that your road will be the road they can journey. Because you have so much for us to do, so much for us to experience. And God, we want to be people of the way. We don't just want to be called Christians, we want to be people of the way. Because we follow you. So open our hearts and minds afresh. Come Holy Spirit. Just see the Holy Spirit resting on you. It's a beautiful sight. Just keep receiving from him. You might not get words. You might just get a feeling, a sense of God drawing close to you. I feel for many, God wants to kind of come and warm you on the inside. You've, you've kind of grown cold on the inside and God wants to warm you on the inside. Life has made you kind of shut down. And God wants to come and gently warm and thaw you, the centre of who you are, so you can respond to his leading. So Lord, we pray for that that warmth of your spirit just to come in. (coughs) Come Holy Spirit. And for some of you, God's asking you to let go of things, things that you're holding on to right now. You might be holding on to a dream that's not happened. You might be holding on to a a person. You might even be holding on to unforgiveness or bitterness. I just felt the Lord say, would you just give those things to me? You can't journey with them. You can't take them with you. Just 
just give them to me. Release those things to me. Give us grace, God, this morning. Help us to respond to you. Come, Holy Spirit. invite the guys just to gently lead us in worship to finish. Just maybe use the words of a song almost like a prayer. Just allow God to continue to soften your heart. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.